0: Nice pictures. As a matter of fact, uh, we do have those slides or those pictures, um, I, th- I believe. If you'd like to get a copy of those, just let us know. And I think we're going to post that on Facebook as well if you want to just kind of download it yourself as well to just have a, uh, a picture. And it was really cool because the kids that uh, that were here, they, they made a little um, type of a plaque ornament type of thing that I pray that you'll keep it and Put it up on your tree every year and remember us during Christmas and continue to pray for us. Amen. All right. And with that said, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter one. I'm going to take a little sidestep here for the next couple of weeks, this week and next week. And uh, we're going to look at the Christmas spirit. And the best place to look for the Christmas spirit, of course, is not in the grocery stores. Uh, of course, is not in the department stores. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that sports bar and grill right down the street here. It says on the outside, are you sad? We have alcohol for that. Are you happy? We have alcohol for that too. (laughs) Some people find their Christmas spirit in alcohol. I mean, there's going to be a a lot of $41.9 billion worth of alcohol being sold during this time of of Christmas throughout the the United States. There there are people that find their Christmas spirit within the... um, you know, the, the foods that we have, all kinds of turkeys are going to be eaten this year. You know, over 22 million turkeys just for Christmas alone, those per, poor turkeys. Uh, Christmas is the time of trying to find that special gift, that special time. You want to be able to have that special fun. You want to make it everything possible. People go all out. They decorate their homes. They decorate their their, their, their yards. And you have all kinds of things just uh, out there. Oh, don't get mad, papas. <laughs> Uh, you know there's all kinds of all kinds of things that people do to be able to to, to try to get into that Christmas spirit you know and um, I, I think I think in the next few weeks after Christmas many of you 'll drive around you 'll still see some Christmas lights up and you 'll probably say something to the effect well they 're still in the Christmas spirit and that's what that 's what I said to my son one time when I hadn 't taken down my Christmas lights and he says no, I think you 're in the uh, well, how did he put that? You're in the Christmas lazy spirit and not wanting to take them down as of yet, <laughs> but but yeah. What is the Christmas spirit? What is that? I mean, it's it's almost you know it's a platitude. It's a word that we throw out. It's what does that really mean? How how does that come into play in our life? And and what what is the the full impact of it? Well, I I want to I'd like to show you and, and kind of walk you through what I understand. Is Christmas is all about and um and we're going to take it out of what what is called the magnificat and I'm going to explain that here in just a little bit to you but the Christmas spirit the the magnificat is a, a canticle a canticle is a a song without music it's more of a like a uh what do you call that the um I say that again like a chant exactly and that's 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 not the word I was looking for, but yeah, it's, it is a chant. It's, it's, there are songs without a cappella. That's the word I was looking for. It's, it's an a cappella type of a song. And you're, 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 you're just filled with emotion, and, and you express to God the verses, the words that you know. And uh, this, this one that we're going to be looking at, the Magnificat, there's three of them. The Benedictus is uh, the one that Zachariah uh, saying when he found out that his son was born and named him John. The Nook Demetis is the one that Simeon, Simeon sent uh, him when he was able to sing and he saw Jesus come to the, they brought him to the temple and he was able to dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, the promise was to him saying that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to die until you see the consolation of Israel before your, before your life, before your hands. And, and that's exactly what happened. He saw Jesus and he said, this is, this is the one. And it was just a, a, this, this emotional type of a song that just came out. And so when we think about the true meaning of, of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas, we come to, come to realize, and if you want to pull out your outlines, we come to realize and we see, and we'll, we'll look at that through the rest of these verses that we have here in Luke chapter 1. But the true spirit of Christmas is worship. Is worship. Worship is more than music. Worship involves music, but it's more than music. A lot of people say, well, you know, I'm going to get there in time so that I can be part of the worship so we can sing together. And then we'll listen to the message and I'll take a nap. No, I'll come in and we'll, we'll listen to the message as if that part is not part of worship. But worship is is music is a big part of worship. And one of the things that we did many years ago when I was going through the series of worship, I had mentioned and I had threatened the church, I says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to go through these next five Sundays talking about worship, and we're not going to have any music, just so we can see that worship is more than music. Well, I had a mutiny on my hands. What? You got you to have music. And it was like, okay, well, well, what we did instead is it was during the time of uh, the Resurrection Sunday right prior to that. So what we did is we initiated what we call the uh, Seder Supper or the Passover meal. And, and if you've ever, if you've not yet participated in one of our Seder meals, I, I want to encourage you to do so. It's always done the Sunday before Easter. And what we do is we take everything over to the fellowship hall and we set up, set up everything in the fellowship hall and we go over the fellowship uh, of the Passover meal and how They had had uh, displayed the food, and every everything had a symbol to it. Everything had a meaning to it, and and it's kind of like a Thanksgiving, kind of like our Thanksgiving dinner, where you have special foods. You know, you have turkey, you have cranberry sauce, you have pumpkin pie, and lots of pumpkin pie and uh, whipped cream, and more pumpkin pie. Uh, That's my favorite part of the Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, You know, you have all these various types of foods that you put out, and they all symbolize something for the Jewish people. Not that we're trying to be Jewish. But we go through the whole process of the Passover. And right in the middle of that Passover meal is when Jesus Christ takes the bread. And you'll see how that bread is lined up, how they prepare it before they even get to that point. And and, and that bread, it's called the bread of affliction. They really don't realize what that meant, the Jewish people, and they still don't realize what that means. The bread of affliction has a lot of little holes in it, you know, and, and it's afflicted. And then there's a piece, it, it's placed in the bag with three compartments, and then there's a piece that's broken out of there, and it's called the afikomen. And the afikomen is the, is the bread of affliction that, that is broken, and it is wrapped in a towel, and it is hidden. And the kids go out and they try to find it, and they, they're given a, uh, a, a prize, or they're given a reward, because they have redeemed that piece of bread. And it, it is that piece of bread that Jesus takes out, and he says... This is my body. And, and until you go through that whole process, and until you, you understand what that piece of bread meant, and how it, it, it so points to Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, you'll never understand the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper once a month, first Sunday of the month. We take it together, and we, we experience that together. But until you go through that Passover meal and find out where that piece of bread came from, I'll tell you one thing. It'll have an impact on you for the rest of your life. Every time you take the Lord's Supper. The same thing with the, with the juice, with the wine. The wine comes from the, the, cup, the, the cup of um, uh, a redemption. There, there's four cups of wine that, that are spread out throughout the meal. You have the first one to start off, the second one to celebrate. The third one is the cup of redemption. And that's the one Jesus takes and he says, look, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so it, it wasn't just a piece of bread and a cup of wine that Jesus took you know, out of nowhere, out of the ordinary, and just, just threw it together and "Let's let's have this. I want you guys to do this every, uh, every day, every month, or whatever the case may be. It was very significant. And so we took that Sunday, we take that Sunday, and what we do is we experience a time of worship without music, without singing, to show that worship is more than music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something that, that it just flows out of you when you understand who Jesus Christ is. Worship is just a lifestyle that you partake of because it's, it's, it's close to you. It's, it's internal. It's intense. It's intentional. It's intimate. And so when we start going through what these people went through when they saw Jesus Christ, when he came to this planet and they recognized him, not because... They saw a baby and said, oh yeah, there he is. But it was the Holy Spirit that impressed upon them, this is the Son of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, very briefly. And let's take a look at some of these acts of worship that take place right around the time of Jesus' birth. In Luke 1, and I'm going to read from verses 41 through 43. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 39. It says, in those days... Well, Luke 1, it gives us the whole narrative of the nativity scene. The birth of Jesus foretold how the angel came to to, to Mary and and said to her uh, that you are highly favored. I'm going to start in verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In verse 30 of chapter 1, it says this. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here is the first step, the first part of what worship in, involves. First and foremost, when you find out that you're highly favored, when you know that God just is is just really in love with you because of what you've done, of how you've given your life to Jesus Christ and how you've surrendered. How you have have just you know what? I don't want any more of this world. I want all of Jesus Christ. I want all of God. Mary was highly favored, not because she was special, not because she was uh, immaculately conceived, not because she was uh, just any, any, uh, you know, anything else besides, not because she was a saint. There was something about this young lady that God wanted to do a miracle through her. A very ordinary young woman had no status symbol whatsoever. She was from the line of David. A lot of people were. But God saw upon her, her heart, her desire to serve God and to worship God. And and, and her attitude, her whole being of who she was is what God needed. He needed a humble servant, not somebody proclaiming, I am the one, look at me. But somebody is willing to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? In verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin And the angel departed from her. Now, these are the stories that have been handed down from generation to generation through the Word of God. At first, it was a verbal expression. It was done orally, an oral tradition that people had given. They didn't have books back then. Most people didn't know how to read, and most people didn't know how to write. They didn't have the ability to write anything down. It was all given through tradition. And so as it was handed down, they one of the things that, that Luke tried to do is to try to get all the information together. Elizabeth... She was barren, and they didn't have any children. And she was praying and asking God to to, to just bring a son, and he did. God brought her a son, and her cousin, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, bore the child, which is John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, in a sense, and that's that's who they were. Elizabeth was older. She couldn't have kids. But God, what what the angel says here, Behold, uh, what is impossible with man... Is possible with God, for there is nothing will be impossible with God. So here's what happens in verse 39 In those days Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, the very first act of worship was done by John the Baptist himself. I don't know how far along it takes in a in a pregnancy for a you can actually feel the child moving. You know, uh, well, I guess Elisa, you'd be the closest one to remember. How old were you? I mean, how, how far along were you? What's that? Four months moving. Now, this baby jumped and leaped. And flipped and says, "Whoa! Praise God! Jesus is in the house!" And the baby was jumping and leaping, and it was this this excitement that you know here God has visited this home. He has visited His people. And John the Baptist, by the way, the because because Zachariah and Elizabeth were in their you know older years. More than likely, they they died, they passed away, and he was handed off to some relatives, and he was taken to a place called the Quamron area. The Quamron area was the area that these guys were devout believers in God, they studied the scriptures, they lived off the fruit of the land, and they literally ate locusts and honey. They eat bugs and honey and anything else that they can find. And their clothing was that type of clothing that, that they would wrap themselves. Not, not anything that you would design, but just just get some camel hair and wrap it around you and, and wrap it around with the, with the belt. If you know anything about John the Baptist, when he came, he came from that area into the town, uh, into the towns, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He says, repent, repent. And he was the one that was proclaiming and preparing the way for the Lord. They hadn't met. Jesus Christ and John the Baptist had not met until the time that John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ. And he came, as the Bible says, eating uh, locusts and honey. And he came with his camel's fur wrapped around with the belt. He was a very strange looking individual. If you ever see pictures of John the Baptist, he's usually pictured as long haired and with a beard and, you know, eating bugs. That's who he was. And so when they threw him in prison, he felt right at home. Hey, there's some dinner right there, you know. <laughs> smorgasbord here and so john the baptist when he felt and sensed the holy spirit touched him and said this is the messiah and when he saw jesus christ for the first time he said here comes the the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world as a matter of fact john the baptist was was asked are you the christ are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for? Because he was bold. He would tell people to repent. If you're stealing from people, stop it. Give back to them what, they're, what, what, what is due to them. If you're a, a, a police officer, if you're in, in the military, don't try to extort people. Be fair. He told the Pharisees to stop lying. And the pastors of the day, you know, just be right. And he was just in their face telling them repent because the sickle is at hand. You guys are going to get destroyed here pretty soon. You need to repent. It's always been, the good news has always been a good news, the gospel of repentance. First and foremost, you have to repent. And John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he left for joy himself. There he is, you know, the Lamb of God. It was like he had to proclaim it. If he could have, he might have sang a song. He could have, or or something. But he, he said, that's him. This is the one. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And Jesus says, but I need to be baptized by you. He says, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it has to be done this way. The very first act of worship was at that point in time when you recognize. You recognize that Jesus is in the house. When Jesus is there. And so this is this is the and uh, in, in verse forty five. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now let's go over to uh, verse chapter one, verses sixty seven and on, because this is the next praise. This is what they call the nuke I'm sorry, uh, the the uh, this this is the not the Magnificat, but anyways, Zechariah's prophecy. In sixty seven, it says. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised us, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our fathers abraham to grant us that we that, that to grant us that we being delivered from the land of our enemies might serve him with fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide your feet into the way of peace Zachariah's prophecy about Jesus Christ after the, the birth of John the Baptist was foretold John the Baptist uh, excuse me the angel came to Zachariah and told him you're going to have a child he says, there's no way that we're going to have a kid yes you are and because you doubt it you won't be able to speak until he is born and and he was told that John the Baptist John uh, John was to be his name and uh, and that was to be his mission to be to be to going uh, going before Jesus Christ to be able to proclaim what Jesus was going to do. And the song that Zachariah sang is specifically in verses 74 and on where he says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him with, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And, and that was the whole the whole point of, of this song was that he says, I'm, I'm going to commit my life. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve Jesus Christ. And that is what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to worship him. And in, in probably one of the most familiar portions of scriptures to most people is in Luke chapter 2. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 2 really quick. And we'll look at uh, the shepherds and the angels. And this is a very interesting story because one of the things about shepherds, shepherds were people that were out in the field shepherds were not looked at very kindly shepherds were you know i mean those were the outcasts those those guys you know they lived with the animals they ate like the animals they smelled like the animals you know don't even come close to us they weren't even allowed to come into worship if a shepherd were to be used as a testimony or as a witness, they wouldn't allow it. You know, no, shepher- we, we can't trust shepherds. Shepherds are not those types of people that you can trust. They were the lowlife of the lowlife, according to a lot of the Pharisees and those that were well-to-do. And shepherds, all their responsibility was was to take care of sheep, and that was it. Not to intermingle with the rest of the crowd. It's interesting. When Jesus Christ, when His birth was announced... It wasn't announced to the Pharisees, to the pastors of the day, to the rulers, to the king. It was announced to the shepherds. Now think about that. It was announced to people that, that were the furthest of the furthest from the crowd, from the, the well-to-do. You know, people like, I don't know about you, but people like the way I grew up with, people, people the, 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 that I was kind of like, I was kind of out in the outskirts. But that's who God chose to speak to for the very first time in a period of 400 years. He says, I'm going to talk to these shepherds out of the blues. Now, listen to this story, because it is just amazing when you look at it and you start to think about, wow, that's that's got to be really... Now that you have that information, it's got to be very bizarre to you and you start to realize this is a very uh, traumatic event for these shepherds. In verse 1, it says, in those days, a decree went out from... And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clods and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn for them. The, the, whole, the whole story, the whole scenario that we have today, that Jesus was born on December 25th, is not true. Okay? I mean, he could not have been born. Well, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't say it's not true. It's very difficult to pinpoint Jesus' birth on December 25th. Part of the reasoning is because when, when um, Caesar Augustus, he called everyone to be registered, he says, you guys need to come in and get registered. He wouldn't do it in the middle of winter. He wouldn't do it at the time when it was the most difficult time to register because he would require everybody to show up, and everybody was required to show up. And so in order to get the maximum amount of people there, he would have to do it during the time when it would be a, a, a very good time to do it. And so a lot of people think it was probably done in late... Uh, late summer, probably early spring, and that's more likely when Jesus Christ was born. I don't know. We really don't know. December 25th was selected probably about the 3rd or 4th or B.C. Uh, A.D. Uh, when, after Jesus Christ was born. There were a lot of celebrations going on. One celebration, it was a Saturnalis, that was um, the celebration of the sun god. And what they would do is they would build this big old bonfire around the the shortest day of the year, December 22nd. And they would build this huge bonfire to give energy to the sun so that it can come back because it was so cold. And they thought that their sun god was dying. And so they would worship and they would run around the fire and they would yell and cut themselves and all kinds of things that they would do and then so after that it seemed like the days would get longer so they thought okay this is what we have to do every year we have to do this when the king became a a christian or liked christians i think it was more his wife than anything else what augustus did is he he brought all the people together and says, look, you guys are having too many celebrations. Let's just put them all together and we'll we'll nominate December 25th as the day of Jesus Christ and your guys' Saturn Alice and you guys can worship together. And you guys can celebrate together. So let's just cut cut all this other stuff off. Too many parties. Too many, too many drunk people. Nobody's going to work. Just one celebration. That's it. Kind of sound familiar, right? And so th- this is Probably when that day was selected, not because he was born on that day. You know, most people didn't remember their birth dates. You didn't remember your birth date because you were just born and that was it. You had nowhere to register until the king called in for registration. When was he born? He was born the year of uh, Augustus. He was born in the year of Caesar Augustus, as a matter of fact. Oh, that was probably, you know, a few years ago. Okay, we'll put that time. Nobody had an actual birth date. And uh, there was a lot of reasoning for that. And uh, you know, just, just so you, you would know, it was probably around this time of the, the, the year, about 300, 400 AD, when there was this young man that his parents had died and left him a lot of money. His name was Nick. And uh, Nick from uh, Turkey, it, the, the place where he was, it's Turkey now. He, he was very generous with his money, and he would give his money away to people, and, and he wouldn't want any notoriety for himself. So what he would do is he would put it in bundles, and he would throw it at people's doorsteps, and, and put it in little bags, and, and just kind of toss it, and people would say, well, where'd this come from? And, and in order to be a little bit more stealth, what he would do is he would drop the money down chimneys in little bags. One of the stories that uh, we know about Nicholas uh, is that, <clears throat> Niklas is what they called him, is that he heard that these three young ladies, these three sisters were going to be sold into slavery as, as prostitutes because they had no dowry. Nobody wanted to marry them and they had no money. They had nothing to, to actually show for themselves. So what he did is he went to their home and he placed all this gold inside of their stockings and he hung them in the chimney. Now, when the church found out about his generosity, they made him a priest and so he became St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas, which we Santa, saint. See, Santa Santa is not Satan. Satan is Satan. Santa ain't. Okay? He, he, ain't, he ain't Satan. Uh, but this, this man, he was a very generous man. And, and when he died, they sainted him. And they gave him the name of St. Nick. Now... That's the story of, and you hear, you're, you'll hear you hear many variations of that, but that's the story of St. Nicholas. Today, you know, there really is no St. Nicholas going around the globe. And, and, and all in one shot. There's only one person that knows when you're sleeping. There's only one person that knows when you're good or bad. There's only one person that knows anything and can be all over the world at one time at the stroke of midnight, and that's God. Okay, that's it. Now, now... I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't pretend, you know, it's fun to pretend with kids about Santa Claus and stuff, that's up to you and how you present that, but please let them know that there really is not a real Santa Claus. Uh, As my kids used to say, well, we believe in Santa Claus anyways, okay, that's fine, we're just going to let Santa bring your presents then, I'll buy everybody else their presents and Santa will bring his presents to you. And and so that didn't work out too well. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it was my daughter. But her initials are Lisa Waters. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But anyways, uh, and, and the, the, the nice thing about Christmas is that there's a lot of things that we can pretend. We can pretend about a lot of things. And, and there are a lot of things that we can actually do. But that's not the Christmas spirit. You know, lying to kids is not the Christmas spirit. Sharing with them uh, what, what the truth is. And this is why I'm sharing this with you now. Because these are things that I believe that we need to know. Verse 8 in chapter 2. This is where it gets really interesting. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Once again, they're out at night and they're watching the flock. It had to be comfortable, at least. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now look at this. Imagine this. In the pitch darkness of, of night. It is just dark, and they're, they're laid out, they're all asleep, all the sheep are in, uh, they have their sheep kind of corralled up against a cliff or against a rock or something, and there's, this, there's barriers that they put on all sides, and what they do is they lay on the front of the gate as a door, so they can sense anybody coming in or trying to get out. And so they they were protecting their sheep. They were laying out there at night. And all of a sudden, this bright light just shines all around them. This huge light. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. I don't know about you, but I would be afraid as well. God's glory is frightening. The glory of God, it, it radiated off of Moses he had to wear a veil over his face so that, so that people would not be affected by the radiation of the, the glory of God. And God said that if you were to even see him, you would die. And the glory of God just appears out of nowhere to these nobodies that are nowhere. And boom, there, there he is. There's God's glory. And these angels are there. And, and you can just imagine these. Okay, we're dead. This is this is just not happening. This is we're dreaming. But they were afraid. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. I have some evangelizing, good news, and I'm sharing this good news. The very first good news that was was shared by the angels. And he says, for unto you was born this day. In the city of David, in the uh, the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I know the song says peace on earth and mercy mild as if we're supposed to have peace on earth. That's the Christmas spirit. There needs to be peace. When you get together with your family, don't argue. Put everything aside, politics, whatever it is that you think about, all this stuff that's going on, put it all aside, because we have to have peace on earth. That is the Christmas spirit. But if you look at this, what, what the, the angel said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That means that there are some that do not please God. There are some that are unpleasing to God. And with Jesus Christ, later on, he says, you know, don't don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I've come to bring a sword. Divide mother against daughter, father against son, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. There's going to be a division in the family because you'll, meet, you'll need to make a stand somewhere to please God or are you going to please man? And when you please God, then all of a sudden it's very displeasing to most men that don't want anything to do with God. And you're starting to find that out even now more so. And if you please men, well, then what happens is you're not being pleasable to God. And God's favor cannot land on you and cannot be on you. And his peace will not be on your household or on you. And you can try and get the Christmas spirit all you want. But his peace is going to land upon those with whom he is pleased. Now, here's the problem. People hear that. They say, "Okay, well, what do I have to do in order to please God? What do I have to do to get this done? What do I have to do to make God like me? What do I have to do? And and we go through life trying to do all kinds of different things. We go to church, we pray, we help people, we give money. We we try to, you know, do all these various types of things that we should do. And churches will keep you busy. They will. But what pleases God is when you recognize who Jesus Christ is. When you worship Jesus. When you love Jesus because he's the one that died on the cross. What did Jesus Christ do? Well, he came to, be, uh, he came to this world. He was born of a virgin. Laid in a manger. Lived a simple life. And taught the people. And healed. And he fed. And he was crucified. He was murdered. And he was buried, but he was resurrected. And he ascended into heaven. And one day he's coming back. To please God, the only way you can, God is, you're pleasable to God is when God recognizes that you have said, I, I believe that. I believe that it's by Christ, in Christ alone, through faith alone, and through, through Jesus Christ alone, that I am saved. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. It is only by him... That I can get saved. So how do I please God? By recognizing that I can't do anything. Number one, I have to recognize that I'm a sinful person. That I cannot please God in in my own lifestyle the way I am. I cannot please God in that sense. These shepherds, uh, we're going to see Simeon here in just a little bit, Zachariah, Mary. They, they weren't pleasing God in the sense to where they were doing everything right. God selected them because of their lifestyle, recognizing that God was in control. And you see, what happens to a lot of us is we put ourselves in control. We try to control our own circumstances. Well, if I do this, then maybe God will like me. And if I do that, maybe I can get some favor with him. The only way that we can get favor from God is to recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your life changes. Repent. Repentance is the key. And repentance doesn't mean just say, okay, I'm sorry, and then go on in your lifestyle. Repentance is recognizing that I'm a sinner. And without the saving blood of Jesus Christ, I cannot be saved. And until I recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, and I And I submit myself to his lordship. I don't need to make him lord because he's already lord. What I need to do is I need to submit to that lordship and find out, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? One of the reasons we gather on a regular basis on Sunday mornings is because of that, okay, Lord, what does the Bible say? And I point you to scriptures. I give you some outlines. I ask you to take these home, read them, study them, go over them. This is not the words that I've come up with. I'm trying to explain to you how this all fits together. I'm trying to share with you how, what's the background story, what was going on in the people's lives, and, and how is it that God came to this person and that person, and how it was that, that it made sense to Paul to share this with the church, the church where it was at, what was going on in that church, and, and why it was necessary to preach that message to that church, that people, that person. And somewhere along there, you'll find your own attitudes, your own life and your own style and everything else that's going on in your life. And you, you, you'll, you'll be able to relate to what Paul is saying to these people. And you'll see, you know, that's, that sounds like me. Well, it is. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and a lot of times you think that you want to be your own boss, your own person. Beloved, you're, you're, if you're not under God's control, if you're not submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're submitted to the world. You see, until you submit yourself to Jesus Christ, then you're a slave to sin. You're going to be a slave one way or the other. You can, by omission or commission, you'll be a slave to sin in the world. And sin will rule your life. Now, I'm not going to let sin rule my life, but that's exactly what's going on. You may not be a very deviant sinner. You may not be an axe murderer, or at least I hope not. You may not be a terrorist. If you are, don't tell me. I'll have to turn you in. You may not be you know, doing all those things, an adulterer. You may not be a thief. You may not be a drug addict. But if you're not submitted to God, if you're not submitted to Jesus Christ, there's only one or two ways. And There's not three or four or five or six different ways. There's either God or there's not. And this is why when, when it comes down to the very simple gospel message, trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. So it's not a matter of what you do it matter what's been done it's already been taken care of Jesus Christ paid that price for you a penalty that you cannot pay a penalty and that's why he came to earth you had nothing you have nothing to do with your salvation nothing the only thing you have to the only thing you can contribute to your salvation is the sin that caused Jesus Christ to come onto this planet that's why he came he had to come to take care of that sin that you and I have been in. We've been in that sin since the beginning of birth. And, and the moment you commit your life to Christ, salvation has come in. And the natural response is worship. And I'll share those with you in just a little bit. But that was, that's what happened here with the angels. When the angels, look at this, when the angels heard this in verse 15... When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They left their job. They left the sheep unprotected. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told concerning told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart and the shepherds returned what glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them the natural response when you come in contact with the Savior is glorifying praising God not that they were singing songs not that they went to church and read some hymnals, hymnals or whatever. It's an attitude. It, it, it's intense. It's internal. It's intentional. It's intimate. It's an attitude. Let me just uh, share with you one more. Uh, actually, yeah, in Luke in Luke 2, 29 through 32. In Luke 2, uh, 20th and 32. Jesus is presented at the temple. This is Simeon, the one I was telling you about. Uh, in verse 22 it says, when when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. The purification of a woman, when, when she was after she gave birth, she would have to bring two turtle doves and the, and the priest would uh, clarify her Pure. Okay, you're you're done with your with all the things that take place in the in birth and after birth and all those other things, and after that was done, they would come to the temple and the the priest would say, okay, did you do this? Did you do that? Okay, you did. Okay, very good. It's done, and it was just a very uh, traditional religious act that the Jewish people would do. And for most of you women that have had children, you understand that process. There's there's a time of purification, a time that you have to just let your body rest and and be purified. And this is what happened. And it was according to the law of Moses. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of, of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this was an old guy. He was older. He was waiting. He was looking. He was anticipating. And he was constantly on his knees, constantly praying, constantly worshiping, looking to see the constellation something has to take place and he sensed it within his heart he knew it was coming he just couldn't see it he didn't know what it was but it was coming he knew that the messiah was to be brought into the world and it wasn't announced to him and it wasn't announced to everybody but the shepherds knew it and they told a few people but news didn't travel as fast as it does today and yet he is sitting there waiting. And then it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. I'm in verse twenty-six, I think that is. Twenty yeah, twenty-six. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, how that was going to happen? He just knew, Okay, I'm going to see the Lord's Christ. Is he going to be a grown man? Is it going to be, you know, is he going to come in on a horse? How is that going to happen? He did not know exactly how this Lord's uh, anointed or Messiah was going to look. But he just knew he was going to see him. He knew that. Verse 27 and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law he took him in his arms and blessed God took him in his lord okay this is it this i know and and i know that i know because the holy spirit has revealed it to me i know that this is your child now i don't know of Simeon understood the whole ramifications of what that meant and how that was going to be played out. So It is probable that Simeon had died by the time Jesus Christ was crucified, more than likely. So he didn't know the whole uh, details of how this was going to be. All he knew, and this is what he says in verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. This is why we believe that he passed away. Because nunc means to to release or to let go. Uh, Depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence of all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Worship. Praise. Love. I mean, just expressing love to God. Worship is expressing love to God. There's also another story of a, of a, a young lady, an, actually an older lady. Uh, same thing happened in verse 30, uh, chapter 2, verse 38. The, she was a widow. She was a prophetess, starting in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband only seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84 years old. She was only married for seven years. Widow for for, uh, a widow for all the, the rest of the remaining of the years. And then as a widow until she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour that Simeon was praising God. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. We know of the wise men that saw the star in the east. They came to King Herod and they said to Herod, hey, let us know when this king of Israel is born. Where where was he born? Because we've come to worship him. Herod says, wait a minute, a king? (laughs) I'm king. (laughs) You got to know something about Herod. Herod was a very devious, diabolical man. He had his wife slaughtered. He had his son killed in, in fear of, the, him taking over his kingdom he didn't want he was a very jealous and very crazy king very very neurotic uh, and he anybody that would cross him he would slaughter them and, and get them out of the way and here these wise men show up and they say hey there's a new king in town he goes what <laughs> well find him uh, so that I can go worship him too and so in, in the middle of the night, as they found Jesus Christ, the wise men, the, the angel of the Lord came to him, depart go a different way because this Herod is going to do something to this kid. And, and, but, but even evil, this is what I'm trying to get across. The wise men, they came from the Orient. They came from the East. They knew of these things. They knew of something going on because of the place where they came from, and this is kind of involved, in it, but let me just try to cut it short. The place where they came from is the place where the Jewish people were exiled into to Babylonia. And that's where Daniel was at. And this is in the Old Testament, some 400 years prior to Jesus Christ's birth. Daniel went there and he became a very wise man with the wise people there with the Magi's or the magicians of the kings of those days. And so there was a lot that he was able to share with people there of what God was going to do. And that was passed on from generation to generation. These Magi said, hey, that time that Daniel used to talk about and has been passed on all these hundreds of years, it's approaching and, and there's that star that he talked about. And there's, you know, it's, it's time to go. And so these guys got together. How many Magi's were there, by the way? Do you guys know? There was a lot of them. That was, that's a trick question. There, there was three kings that brought, there, there were three gifts that these kings brought. And so because they brought three kings, everybody thinks that there's three Magi, three kings. No, there were, there were a few of them. It was, it was more than just three. But, but these kings, they came to bring gifts To Jesus Christ. And they had all this gold. They had all these camels. They had this entourage. they traveled for months. Knowing that this was the time. Now it is believed that Jesus Christ. Was already advanced in years. Maybe two, five years old. Because once they left. And didn't go back to Herod. Oh before I go there. Even evil. Has a desire. Knows. That it should worship. God. Every Person, every spiritual being on this planet is commanded by God to worship Him. You are expected, whether you believe God or not, you are expected to worship Him. And you will one day proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day every tongue will will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the stories I like to use is when Jesus came off the boat into the place of Gennesaret and there was a man there with these the, demons inside of him. He was called Legion. This man with all these demons came forward and fell at the feet of Jesus Christ. He worshipped. He prostrated himself. He was down on his face and he knew who Jesus Christ was and he too worshipped. See, worship, worship is done by everyone. It's going to be done by everyone. But you, beloved need to do it from your heart need to do it from within you need to do it because this is what god has commanded of his people and you beloved if you are a believer in jesus christ that is your lifestyle worship doesn't happen on sunday morning it's a big part of it but it's something that we take with us throughout the, our life every day of the week every moment Thanking God for everything that happens within us. The Bible says that, that Herod was mad because uh, they didn't come back and tell the, 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 they didn't tell him where Jesus, the Christ was, and so what, G, what this king did, because he was an evil, weak, wicked king. He says, "You know what? I want you to go around through the whole, whole land where this Christ was supposed to be born, and I want you to slaughter every child that's five years old and under. Kill them all. We'll get him eventually. You know, if we get all the five-year-olds and down, can you imagine? What about how would you feel living in a city like that, where the king all of a sudden has okay, all the kids, whether aborted or not, wherever they, every one of them slaughtered out of here, because I want to be king. Jesus Christ, his death was imminent from the very beginning, and from that point forward, everywhere he went, people wanted to kill him. But it wasn't his time as of yet, because his time had not come. On the back of your outline, very quickly. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Worship is internal. Worship comes from inside. Worship explodes when you know who Jesus Christ is. Worship just, it's automatic. It's automatic. This is not external. You can't sing yourself into praises and worship. You see, only the only the redeemed can worship. Everybody else can observe. All they do is see what everybody else is doing. All they can do is see what you're doing. And and I pray, beloved, that you are at a point where you're not just observing, but it's actually coming out from inside of you. It's internal. Number two, worship is intense. Not only does she say, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. It's intense. It's just like, man, I just can't contain myself. It's what I have to do. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah, who prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. Why? Because she too was with child. She was barren. And as She was given this child. She was just so just excited. And she said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. By the way, horn usually means strength. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Lord, you have saved me from those ridiculing me and and making fun of me because I've been barren all these years. You've given me a child. And you know what she did? She gave them back to the Lord. Number three, worship is intentional. It's intentional. It's not just something that you do internally, something that's uh, intense, but it's intentional. You, you come to worship. You go to worship. You, you prepare for worship. You, you get here in, in time to worship. You leave here worshiping. You go home and you do it intentionally. You pray for your family. You pray over your family. You pray for your job. You pray for those opportunities to be able to to worship God and expressing love to Him and expressing it to other people. It's intentional. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Intentional. Not just because. Intentional on in God, her Savior. You know, I, I can't help but thinking that Mary knew a lot of the Psalms because in Psalm 34 it says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. And I'm sure maybe this is probably one of the Psalms she had in the back of her mind. And she says, Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Because number four, worship is intimate. Intimate. Look at what it says in verse forty-eight. For he has looked upon looked on the humble estate of his servant. Just like what we read right now in Psalm thirty-four. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She was in a very humble state. She was worship is intimate. It's very humbling. You don't do this proudly. You know, trying to get attention of everybody. You do this in a very humble and intimate manner. In Psalm 138, 6, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In other words, those... Okay, Lord, I'm almost done. He says, hurry up. (laughs) You're losing them, you're losing them. (laughs) For For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. You know, the thing about being, we've talked about humbleness already. We, we've talked about it quite a bit. But humbleness is not a word that it comes very easy to us Westerners. Because we believe that everything has to be done by me. I got to do it. We cannot humble ourselves. But look at what Peter says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Let me stop there for just a moment. This is Peter. This is loudmouth Peter. This is arrogant, cussing, cursing Peter. This is Peter that lied to Jesus Christ and said, I'll never forsake you. I won't do it. I never deny you. What did he do? He denied him. This is Peter saying, You got to be humble. Something happened from that Peter to this Peter. He saw and he, he experienced. This is the Peter that when Jesus, when he denied Jesus Christ three times and the rooster crowed, the Bible says that he looked across the courtyard and Jesus spotted him eye to eye. He saw him eye to eye. You, can you imagine how that just, just pierced his heart? The Bible says that it pierced his heart so bad that he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is the Peter that Jesus Christ entrusted to build the church upon. This is the Peter that when he was gone, he didn't want anything to do with anybody. He was apart from everyone else. During the resurrection, Jesus told the women, go, told Mary, go and tell my disciples and Peter. He singled him up. Go tell my disciples. And you know what? You better tell Peter. Everything's going to be okay. Tell Peter it's all going to be good. And this is the Peter that says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. I learned how to be humble. Don't wait till you're humbled. Don't wait till something drastic happens and humbles you. Some of you have already been humbled. And it's not a very good feeling. And you know, all of it And if it keeps happening, it's because, well, you haven't learned the lesson yet. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Mary, humbled, exalted. Known through all generations as the mother of Jesus Christ. Jesus, humbled, exalted. Peter, humbled, exalted. You see, God's either going to use you as an example, or he's going to exalt you. And I pray, beloved, that you learn how to live a humbled life in worship and in gratitude with this internal worship, with this intense worship, with this intentional worship, with this intimate worship. You learn how to love Jesus Christ. See, the spirit of Christmas is worship. That's going to get lost. It's going to get lost in the next few days. And I pray it doesn't get lost by you. And I pray that in the next few days, especially on Saturday and, you know, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, you know, we come back and we continue to worship. That we make this new year, 2022, a year that we are going to stand up and we're going to move forward. That we're going to proceed in spite of all the stuff that's going on, all the negativity. Because there's a lot of negativity out there, Beloved. And it's hard to worship when you're in a negative state. But when you have focused your life on Jesus Christ, not the baby in the cradle, but the empty cross, the one standing at the right hand of the Father, when you focus your life upon him, everything seems to be okay. I want you to Stand. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What Paul says to the people in Philippi, Have that same attitude, that same mindset. Humble yourself to the point of death. Now, that's a very high order. Well, you know, that means that I have to die? (laughs) Well, I'm not saying go out and commit suicide or stand in front of a truck. But the form of worship, the form of humility that it takes to worship God, that's internal, intense, intentional, intimate, is when you put yourself aside and you say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let Christmas be that gift that you are giving to God for the rest of your life. Father in heaven, I thank you once again for this opportunity as we come to recognize the true spirit of worship and the true spirit of Christmas. And worship, Father, is something that we live, not just that we do on Sunday morning. And I know that from this point forward, we will probably say, well, we're going to go to worship or we're going to go to church. Knowing that this is merely the church building, but your church sits in these pews and leave this building. And worship is not something that is done just for an hour uh, on Sunday morning. But it's a lifestyle that we want to take with us from this day forward as we continue to learn. The principles that you've taught us to be able to live this life. How we are to take on the same uh, humility, same attitude. I pray, Lord, that you, you give us the wisdom. You've already given us the strength. You've given us the love that we need, the joy, the peace. You've given us the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness. You've given us the self-control. It's our, it already resides within those that you have redeemed. Lord, what we need to pray for is wisdom on when and how to put that into practice. So this Christmas, Father, as we gather for um, whatever, meals, tamales, presents, and all the gifts and all the good things that, uh, that we are able to share because of your Son, we know that we're not the only people that are doing this. We know that there are those out there that will worship and want to worship from an external standpoint. We know that there's people out there, Lord, that that you cause your your sun to shine upon the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And the whole world will rejoice and celebrate, but for many it's going to be empty. Lord, I pray that this Christmas, for this small group of people here, that it becomes a very full and meaningful time of worship in the Christmas spirit. Thank you once again, Lord, for all that you do. Lord, as we depart from here and we move on to the next phase of our worship and the fellowship and the food, I pray you bless the meal, nourish us, and uh, just continue to be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right, I'll be up here for a time of prayer if you'd like to come up. Oh, yeah, and by the way, eating is a part of worship as well. Yes, when we do it together, amen? amen. Yeah, so we have lunch.